are entering the Freedom Hut. A fantastic weekend for America and for freedom, my friends. Justice Kavanaugh is now on the Supreme Court. He got through. It was quite a battle, one for the ages. But we've learned a lot about our opponents. Here's the short version. The left is full of people having a mass nervous breakdown, and they call it politics. We'll talk about that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. If Democrats are willing to cause such destruction in the pursuit of power, just imagine the devastation they would cause if they ever obtained the power they so desperately want and crave. You're going to have other Supreme Court justices' places to be filled. It could be three, it could even be four, it could be a lot. And if you allow the wrong people to get into office, things could change. They could change and they could change fast. You don't hand matches to an arsonist and you don't give power to an angry left-wing mob, and that's what they've become. The Democrats have become too extreme and too dangerous to govern. Republicans believe in the rule of law, not the rule of the mob. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. President Trump saying it exactly as it should be said. The Democrats are ruled by the mob. You could say they are not really Democrats. They are Oclocrats from Oclocracy, ruled by a mob. Kavanaugh is through. That is something that we all should celebrate. Many of you are right there along with me. We had some tough days in that process. People were saying, how dare you question that woman's truth and that other woman's truth and that other woman's truth, even though the third one was clearly a fabricator, lying, lying, lying. I know the others were lying too, but just a question of the degree, and the severity. But Kavanaugh got through over the weekend. It was a, a great day on Saturday. I was in a really good mood. I'm sure many of you were too, because it was reassuring that justice was done in this country. It was reassuring that even with all of the arrayed, vicious forces of the progressive left against this candidate, they weren't able to stop him. They tried. They put everything they had into it. They were willing to do anything that would have kept him off the bench, and it wasn't enough. A close-fought battle, we'll talk more about that later on the show, but it was not enough. The good guys won. Savor it. Enjoy it. It's not always going to be the case You know that. It hasn't always been the case in the past. I still remember that feeling that I had, you know, within reason, but I remember the feeling of Barack Obama with a a weak economy and a a clearly deficient 
governing philosophy and foreign policy, uh, an empty suit administration, if there ever was one. And going into his second term after he beat Romney, just thinking to myself, what is it that so many of my fellow Americans do not understand? And I had to wrestle with that and grapple with it. And so much of it was optics and so much of it was Romney's unwillingness to rise to the kind of fight he was in. He didn't really understand. Trump understands. And he rose to this occasion. So did Kavanaugh. I was proud of both of them and proud to have defended both of them in this whole process. But the biggest takeaway for me from all of this is just how insane the left has become. Leftism has turned into a kind of mass panic, a widespread delusion, a collective nervous breakdown. It's no longer enough for people to disagree with others based on politics. They have to shriek into this into the air. They have to bang on doors. They have to attack old men holding signs. They have to harass people in the streets, chase them out of restaurants, send threatening letters, dox members of the Senate, threaten to dox their children. There was word over the weekend of senators who had been uh deluged with threats against themselves, against families, against grandchildren of senators. A Fox anchor was stalked into the subway. We'll talk later on about that. A writer for Stephen Colbert's crappy late night program tweeted out that she was, quote, just glad we ruined his life about Brett Kavanaugh. You had protesters clawing like crazed animals at the Supreme Court doors. And yes, you even had Taylor Swift come out in favor of the Democrat Party in Tennessee. T-Swift, how could you? But no, this is very serious. Uh, This is something quite different. Uh, The left has lost it. Uh, they, They no longer seek to meet us on a battlefield of ideas where reason even plays a role. Now it is emotion. It is slogans. It is the mob not just cheering on one side, but demanding the obliteration of the other, demanding the arrest of political opponents, demanding the harassment of people trying to serve their country, people who have served honorably in some cases for decades. They don't want to just beat us on the battlefield of ideas. They want to beat us literally with sticks and fists and rocks. They threaten violence because to them, ideas that shatter their own sense of their worth and their well-being, they are triggered by our, our thoughts. And that triggering, they think, justifies a violent response. We saw this in some of the antics of Antifa over the weekend, attacking people on streets, acting like the maniacs they are. And we see this from the way that the left reacts to political defeat. We won. Conservatives won. The good guys won with Kavanaugh. And notice there's really not any gloating. There's not an endless victory parade going on television. There isn't this sense of now that we've beat the other side in the war, let's go around and bayonet all the survivors. 
We're not rubbing their faces in it, although a little bit of spiking the football perhaps is in order. Because to us, this was just what should have been done. This was just, this was right. Life goes on. There are other battles to fight. There are other arguments to be had. But also, in the conservative mind today in America, you can have a separation between who you vote for, what policies you support, what you what you believe in your politics, and who you are in your day-to-day life. I don't mean that you don't live your ideals and beliefs, but I mean you don't feel the need to only exist in that sphere of what is political. To be a good conservative, you have to focus on things like treating people with respect, acting with honor and decency and kindness, things that the leftist media tends to sneer at. Things that pop culture dominated by the left ridicules. But you realize that you can't be a true conservative without doing those things. And it's just so much easier and so much more self-gratifying, so much more satisfying to the self to show up and scream about how Kavanaugh will be the death of millions of women. To scream about how the patriarchy is alive and well. To dress in stupid costumes and carry idiotic placards. And act like the country is falling apart and democracy is in peril because process is still respected in the Senate. Because the presumption of innocence is a principle that we have maintained. Understand this. If they had gotten away with this plan, if the left had managed to sink Kavanaugh, it was the beginning of the end of any kind of honest forthright and decent discourse in this country because anyone who was an effective spokesperson for the other side anybody who was able to wield power and authority on the right and stand up to the progressive project would have been a target for the most vicious smears and character assassination and there would have been this sense that once the allegation is out there that's all that's required the allegation is is the verdict. And because they were deprived of that secret weapon, because the left isn't going to be able to do that, they had a complete meltdown. Play clip 11. You are the most intolerant group I've ever seen. Reject the lies. Reject the whole You are a subhuman. We're done being polite. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Shame. 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 These people are unwell. It's not just that I think they're 
wrong, that their ideas are bad, that they would be destructive to the country were they to be implemented. That's a given. There is something different now. We're not arguing over what the top marginal tax rate should be with the left today. We're not arguing over how we should pay for various health care or entitlement programs, although that's a part of the discussion. That's not where the focus of the fight is now. The main effort, the central argument has to do with whether the left accepts defeat, whether it can handle the fact that it's not always going to get its way. And in fact, the id, if you will, of the progressive left, right, the id, the part of the mind that is where instinctive impulses lie. The id of the progressive left has become violent and dangerous and unreasonable and perpetually outraged. This is not going to lead to good things for anyone. This is not going to lead to happy places for this country. And I do fear it's only going to get worse because instead of learning from their losses, they excuse them with delusions. Instead of recognizing that the American people are not in fact on their side, they take the position that they were cheated. You see, it was Russia or it was that big mean meanie Mitch McConnell or it was some other thing that they conjure up to explain. It was the electoral college. Now, they say the very same people who for about a year and a half of Trump's presidency have been saying he's undermined institutions, he's destroying our institutions, he's undermining our democracy. They say this. It's seared into their minds. Those same people now openly proclaim we need to tear this system down because Kavanaugh's on the Supreme Court. We no longer can accept what this system produces for our politics. This starts to sound less and less like the voice of opposition, and more and more like the voice of anarchists, people that refuse to accept any position that is in opposition to their closely held beliefs. And if they have to endure it, they will not look to win back power so much as to destroy the system of power in our government and seize it for themselves, not with the consent of the people, but in the name of the very people who have repudiated their ideology all along. We are heading into dark times here. As much as the Kavanaugh win was a glorious thing, the left is angry, and we have quite a fight on our hands. We'll be right back. We saw the president say these are professional protesters paid by George Soros, et cetera, et cetera. What, 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 who were these people? What was so going on? A lot of them were, were normal people who were mad. We, we hung out with a group from Alaska who was very specifically talking to Lisa Murkowski. Um, a lot of them were Native Americans, which also played into Lisa Murkowski's decision. They actually felt a lot of respect for her because she brought them into their office. Um, she had a real conversation with them. And we also saw people who were organized. And that moment with Jeff Flake on the Hill, we talked to one woman who works for Ultraviolet, who was paid. She helped steer people in the right ways to be able to, to confront senators. So there were paid... There were people who were paid by organizations like Ultraviolet to, to try to harness that energy in a way that would make the viral moments that we ended up seeing. 
Soros operatives, folks. That's what she, she's she's saying it without saying it. But that is a fact. I saw a very interesting tactic about this from The New York Times over the weekend, too, which is that now to bring up that somebody is is paid is a paid activist and agitator is a better when you're screaming at people in the hallway. You're not really an activist. You're an agitator. You're, you're there to cause problems. You're not there to solve anything or raise awareness. You're there to act up. Right. But these these agitators who are paid by Soros. Now, when you bring that up, the New York Times, at least of one of its reporters was saying that that is an anti-Semitic dog whistle. Keep in mind that you're just stating a fact that it's a Soros organization he is the funds behind it, and they are paid by him. But now to even say that, they're trying to shut that down by saying, oh, it's anti-Semitic. So when I see it and tell you that Soros likes it when they have all the people with the pre-made signs and they're down on Capitol Hill and they want to make sure that democracy is imploding from within and they want to smear Kavanaugh, you know, that, that is apparently now not allowed anymore. You're, you're not allowed to point out that, that, that Soros is funding people. They're trying to claim that that is inherently anti-Semitic. Meanwhile, if if Tom Steyer was funding them, conservatives would would be just as quick to point that out. It doesn't matter. We're just saying that they're getting paid. These aren't normal people. Normal people don't do this. They don't do any of it, by the way. They don't show up at the screaming at the Capitol and acting like a bunch of maniacs. They're so, you'll notice, the left is so angry over this. And and here's one theory as as to why. I have a lot of theories about this, which is good news that I've got three hours of radio every night to talk to you about it. One of them is that I think that the progressive left worries deep down somewhere. They worry that were it not for the Supreme Court uh, imprimatur, or is it imp- imprimatur, <laughs> imprimatur on their policies and beliefs, they couldn't make the argument themselves they need a supreme court that will side with them because if they had to live with just making the case about this or that policy they worry not just that they could convince the american people but i think they worry that they could even convince themselves they need a super legislature in black robes to tell them that what they believe is right or else they're shaken to their very core which is why they act out so much. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I am convinced that Dr. Ford believes what she told us and that she was a victim. We have a presumption of innocence in this country. And when I looked at the lack of any corroborating evidence, including no evidence from her very best friend who was present at the party, I could not conclude that Brett Kavanaugh was her assailant. She's trying to have it always. And you can't say somebody is credible and then completely question their story. She struck a nerve to me in what she said and how she voted, because that's political cowardice. Um, That is somebody who is pretending to be a feminist, but that is fake feminism. Fake feminism, a former Hillary Clinton hack there, Saki. Wait, is that, is she a Hillary Clinton? No, no, I'm sorry. She's a former 
uh, Obama administration spokesperson for the State Department. I thought she was. I'm sure she's friends with Clinton, too. But, but notice how quickly they will just attack, attack women who do not go along with the left wing feminist agenda. Right away, they'll attack viciously, too, because when a woman does not go along, it really undermines the power structure. It's like within the Islamic faith with the radicals. If you were an apostate, if you had been within the faith and left, they hate you that much more because you're more of a danger because the faithful will see your departure and think, why did that person go? The same is true with radical leftist feminists. They see a woman who breaks ranks with them and their response is, oh, maybe, maybe we need, well, they say we need to destroy this person right away because other women will say, hold on a second, maybe I can think for myself too. Maybe there's something else here. And, and there, were, there were some people who came through, not just Lindsey Graham, who I've given lots of props to already on the show. There were others. Uh, I, I gave Jeff Flake a very hard time. I think that he gambled with the Kavanaugh nomination uh, by delaying it a week. Some would say, though, had he not delayed it, they would not have had the votes. I don't know if that's true or not, but it certainly seemed like a, a cowardly move at the time to me. That said... When push came to shove, Flake did the right thing here at the moment he had to do it. So I'm not saying, you know, he he's not Spartacus either, but he deserves credit. Manchin in West Virginia also deserves some credit, but let's also keep it real. West Virginia is a state where the sentiment was overwhelmingly in favor of Kavanaugh and against this obvious political hit. Collins from Maine. Yes, I think she did the right thing here. I also think that all the radical leftist feminist types calling her terrible names and sending her hateful messages for weeks and weeks trying to intimidate her to threaten her into going along with the leftist feminist agenda. I think that didn't help their case. And then that brings me to Murkowski. Now, I don't know. Oh, wait, wait. Before I get to Murkowski, Heidkamp, I hope I hope the people in her home state deal uh, deal her quite a rebuke for this one. She's already down five points, uh, but I really do hope that they manage to find a way to hold her accountable for what was an unbelievably lame decision. Um, you know, North Dakotans should oust Heidkamp at the soonest possible moment. And then that leaves us with Murkowski. All right. Now, Murkowski is not somebody who has ever been impressive to me at all. And I'm not surprised that she she pulled this stunt. And she's not up until 2020 or 2020. Might even be 2022. Um, she's not up for quite a while. So her calculation is clearly she can massage this issue later on you know, take some heat now and then and then she'll figure it out or take less heat now, really. And then she'll figure it out later. I hope that the American people hold her accountable. Um, I hope that the people of Alaska, K-E-N-I up in the house, you're listening to this show live. I know you guys up there in Anchorage give you a high five. I hope that you do everything you can to mobilize and make sure that she is at the soonest possible moment, no longer in the United States Senate for what she did here. 
It's not just about the for for me, the, the notion of having a conservative on, on the Supreme Court. That's important. Sure. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not also invested in the politics here. Of course I am. But what was at stake here was so much more than that. It was whether we would reward the worst political instincts in this country or take a stand for decency. And every single Democrat who voted against Kavanaugh took a stand for the worst possible political impulses. And every Republican who voted for Kavanaugh did the opposite, did the right thing. Um, and I think that we should be proud of him. And look, Mitch McConnell, he gets trashed a lot on talk radio, has for a long time. People say he's a rhino. People say he's, he's too establishment. And, you know, maybe that's true. But, you know, not all battles are equal. And this fight that Mitch McConnell has been the general for, he really has. I don't Mitch McConnell. You don't think of him as a general. But, you know, Mitch McConnell has been directing this one and done a very good job of, one, blocking the seat that would have gone to Merrick Garland, who, you know, by the way, they say he's a centrist. He would have gone with the left on 80 percent of things. I mean, he would have been. He would have been just as, as reliable as a lot of the other lefties they have on the court. So that's one part. You know, he would have been right there with Kagan. Um, and not, not, not as far as Sotomayor, but, you know, the Huffington Post comment section isn't as far left as Sotomayor. Uh, but the fact that Mitch McConnell managed to get, all the, get Kavanaugh through, he said he would, and he did. You got to give Mitch some credit. You've got to take your moment, take a moment and tip a hat to Mitch McConnell here. But I want to return to this notion of the of the psycho left for a moment and how they have had this collective nervous breakdown. I, I want to get into this with you. They went after somebody recently. And it's, I think, unfortunately, a harbinger of things to come. We'll get into that. Stay with me. They're saying is that Democratic protesters are, quote, an angry mob. <laughs> and what I want to ask you about is, you know, it is one thing to protest at the Supreme Court, to do it at the Capitol. That's mm-hmm. been done for, for generations yes. and, frankly, since the founding of this yes. country. It's another thing to run senators out of restaurants, go to their homes. Is that going too far? I think that it just means that there are a lot of people who are very, very much uh, um, motivated by what is going on. Because what, what happened with uh, Judge Kavanaugh is from the very beginning, this was not a fair process. And uh, what the Republicans did was to telegraph, after Dr. Ford's account came forward, what they telegraphed was, one, uh, Dr. Ford, we don't want to hear from you. Two, if we have to hear from you, we're going to rig the hearing so that the going after people no. at restaurants stop? Well, this is what happens, you know, the, the, because when you look at white supremacists and, and all of that, this is what's coming forth in our country. There's a tremendous divisiveness in our country, but... Uh, uh, this is the kind of uh, activism that occurs, and people make their own decisions. Notice how Senator Hirono, who is an idiot, and the people of Hawaii, I love Hawaii, beautiful state, amazing people, people of Hawaii who vote for Senator Hirono should, should feel sheepish about that, to say the least. Notice how she won't answer the question that Donna Bash, not to be confused with Dana, Donna Bash uh, is asking her, which is, do you think it's okay that they follow people into restaurants and harass them in public in this way? That that the radicalized left is now engaging in such aggressive and personal and threatening and uh, possibly combustible 
and maybe even leading to violence kind of tactics? Do you think that that's okay? She will, She says people will make their own decisions. This is a sitting U.S. senator, folks. She will not condemn the tactic because the activist left likes this crap and she doesn't want to offend them. This doesn't happen on the right. You know this. It does not happen. All right. We, we police our own. We do not allow for this kind of thing. We do not have a political culture of shriek and threaten and menace and attack and get into people's faces. We have a political culture if we have a system, we make arguments, we stand for our principles, and we will make our case. They stand for the, you know, I'm going to hold my breath and attack you with a stick if you don't agree with me. And they won't even have the so-called adults of the Senate or in the media, which, you know, media is a bunch of crybabies, but they won't even have them say that they shouldn't do that. I mean, she just dodged that question. The answer to, this is like, you know, the answer to, if somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. You know what movie that's from. The answer to if somebody or or should somebody follow a person into a restaurant and harass them because of their politics? The answer to that is no. It is unequivocally, without question, no. But she won't say it because she knows that were she to say that, it would offend the left. It would offend the activists the Emily Ratajkowski's and uh, Amy Schumer's and others who love to just parade, and, you know, Alyssa Milano love to parade around and get arrested by the big mean police and the whole thing. This is part of their political culture now. The shrillness, the nastiness, the shrieking, the anger, the rage, the, the public demonstrations of psychological distress. That's a defining characteristic on the left now. Right to have really a a nervous breakdown in public, that is what leftism has become, and you notice it here. And this is we've had all these different examples. You know, you had, you had Rand Paul have his, or rather, Rand Paul's wife wrote a letter about how not only was he attacked and almost beaten to death by a lunatic left winger. Uh, who just hated Rand Paul. There was it was not some, you know, neighbor dispute. He just hated Rand Paul, attacked him from behind, almost killed him. He had pneumonia, he was in terrible pain. And that's after some lunatic left-wing Bernie Sanders supporter tried to shoot Rand Paul on a baseball diamond in Alexandria, uh Hodgkinson. James Hodgkinson's a shooter. It's a name you should know. The left likes to forget it very conveniently. Uh but you know, his wife wrote about how she gets threats. Her her child, her children gets uh get threats. And Prominent Democrats make jokes, either in the media or in the Democrat Party, make jokes about the attack on Rand Paul, as though it's somehow funny. This is something cute that they should laugh about. These people are disgusting. I keep saying they should be ashamed, but they they have no honor, and so they don't feel anything when their honor is lost. It can't be debased because there's nothing there to begin with. That's one of the problems when you're fighting against the left, is that they they don't feel the loss of honor because they have none to begin with. You know, Brian Kilmeade is a guy that I, I don't I don't know, Brian. I've worked with him before. I, I know everybody in conservative media, at least by reputation, if not knowing them through working with them or personally. But I know everybody by reputation. And Brian is universally considered uh, by everyone I've ever spoken to a really nice, decent guy. You know, whether you like his uh, his on air persona or his analysis, that's that's irrelevant. 
he's a nice guy. He's supposed to be a really good. I don't know him well. I've only worked with him. The other people I could tell you are a good guy. Brian, I can only say, you know, I've heard he's a really nice guy. And I've always enjoyed my interactions. But even if he was, let's just say he was an Oberman level jackass, which he's not. But let's just say he was. He would not deserve what happened to him over the weekend where he was stalked and harassed by a couple of left wing because, you know, are there any other kind these days? Activist comedians. Here's some of the audio from it. Play eight. Brian, weren't you accused of sexually harassing Gretchen Carlson? Yes or no? Yes or no? Hey, everyone. Uh, this is Brian Kilmeade. He says lots of weird, uh, kind of racist <laughs> stuff on the news a lot. Yeah, this is the, the closest personal advisor to Donald Trump, the Fox and Friends host, Brian Kilmeade. If you have anything you want Donald Trump to say uh, or do, tell this guy, because he's the only person in America that Donald Trump listens to. Brian, did you get that? Career, career criminal, traitor, go to hell. Stop grabbing. Okay, there we go. That goes for Trump and you. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Think about it. Now I don't know who those idiots are, and man, I can tell you when I say this, and I, I say this knowing full well at some point, I might have to come on air and explain to you that you know I got into a uh, a scuffle. And uh, a lot of these media types, you know, they they think that they're, uh, you know, impervious to this kind of thing. They think that there's not something to worry about. But I would not deal well with some uh, left wing hack following me into the subway. Look, it's one thing to wait outside somebody's home and do the ambush interview thing. I think that's pretty tasteless. I don't like it when conservatives do it either. I think it's pretty tasteless unless there's a real news reason to do it, right? Unless somebody's refusing to answer questions about something that's really newsworthy. It's different in the halls of the Senate. It's different in a public space, a public building with somebody who's a, a public official. That does, you know, there's a difference in waiting for waiting for whether it's Mitch McConnell or, you know, Dianne Feinstein in the hall of the Senate building to ask a question versus waiting outside their home. That's weird. There are boundaries here. But this goes even beyond that, because not only was there the the ambush interview component of this, then there was the following him into the subway. So that's really now you're not just going up to somebody and they walk past you. You leave them alone. I think that's aggressive, but that's done. This is following him down into the subway, getting in the same subway car, publicly trying to humiliate him and then trying to kind of whip up an angry mob against him in the subway car. What if somebody in that subway car, you know, who heard that Brian Kilmeade is a racist, what if that person got in Brian's face? And what if Brian, you know, felt threatened? What if he shoved that person? What if a fight ensued? What if somebody got really hurt? That's not a hard thing to create as a possibility here in your mind because they, these 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 moron wannabe comedians, are creating a combustible situation. They are creating a scenario in which it would not be difficult for there to be an escalation of physical violence and you have to think that when they do this time and again when they create these kinds of situations that so clearly could turn into a violent confrontation they don't mind that they're running that risk you start to think that maybe that's really what they're pushing for this is who the left has become they won't deny it they won't shout this down they won't call it out 
they are increasingly embracing not just the politics of public nervous breakdowns and acting like psychos who are slamming on the on the 13 ton doors of the Supreme Court, but also they the left and the Democrat Party are embracing the politics of being stalkers, harassers who invade private space, who frighten people and who are really trying to instigate violence. Team, if you've ever found yourself wincing at that weak taste of coffee from one of those commie corporate brands, you probably thought, I wish they spent less time on meaningless bias training, bathroom policy reform, and things that defy common sense, and more time on their coffee. That's why you, like me, need to start every day with Black Rifle Coffee. I find Black Rifle absolutely delicious. And not only is it fantastic coffee, I like that I'm supporting a company founded by veterans of the special operations community, guys who love this country, love what they do for their fellow veterans, and are all about delicious, small-batch, roast-to-order coffee. Everybody listening to this should make Black Rifle Coffee their coffee brand. No reason not to, folks. It's as good as anything you'll find in the market and then some. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Be sure to use that code. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. So I've been hearing that, that now they're thinking about impeaching a brilliant jurist, a man that did nothing wrong. A man that was caught up in a hoax that was set up by the Democrats using the Democrats' lawyers, and now they want to impeach him. I've heard this from many people. I think it's an insult to the American public. And I think you're going to see a lot of things happen on November 6th that would not have happened before. The, the American public has seen this charade, has seen this dishonesty by the Democrats. And when you mention impeach a justice of the United States Supreme Court, who was a top scholar, top student, top intellect, and who did nothing wrong, and there was no corroboration of any kind, and went through seven FBI investigations, had nothing to do with any of this stuff. I mean, you had the last one. Take a look at the last one. The things they said about him. I don't even think he ever heard of the words. It was all made up, it was fabricated, and it's a disgrace. And I think it's going to really show you something come November 6th. I'm happy because the effort to humiliate and railroad a man I've known for 20 years who's never been banned from a mall, unlike Roy Moore, failed. I'm happy that those who tried to destroy his life fell short. I'm glad those who tried to overturn the rule of law and replace it with mob rule lost. I've never been more pissed in my life. I voted for Sotomayor and Kagan. I would have never done this to them. This was character assassination. This was wanting power too much. And to the extent that I came to the aid of this good man and helped defeat this debacle, I am happy as a clam. Lindsey Graham's finest moment, everybody. The Kavanaugh nomination fight. The, the single most memorable moment of Lindsey Graham's career, and it's such an important one. 
and one that was so unexpected, I think, from in many corners. I, I give Lindsey Graham a lot of leeway now. There's tons of stuff I disagree with him on. I, I think on national security, he's he's I think he is hawkish to a fault. Um, I think on on borders, he is way too lax on immigration issues, for example. But Lindsey Graham got a lot of points in my book for standing up and doing the right thing. And, and this is where I want to want to remind everybody. You know, Trump is talking about the political ramifications and how conservatives are united right now, are angry, rightfully so, about how Kavanaugh was treated. We should be enraged by this. We should also be worried. We should be worried because while the good guys won this time around and Kavanaugh goes on to the Supreme is on the Supreme Court, while the good guys won, this battle was far too close fought a contest. This was way too close. And I don't want anyone to lose sight of that. It's not like this was the way it was just going to be and the Democrats made a lot of noise, but we all knew. I was hearing from people with connections to the White House that there were very senior people in the White House telling Trump, pull Kavanaugh's nominee. The kind of people who Trump might have listened to. You can probably think of some of the names. I've heard from people who would know very directly that there was a real pull Kavanaugh movement within the White House. Okay, I'm not talking about it from the media or even from random Republican members of Congress. or no, 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 in the White House. And it was close. And that's why what Lindsey Graham did, it's easy now to see it and say, oh, well, did it really matter that Lindsey Graham jumped in when he did? The answer is abso-friggin-lutely. If Cav- and also this, this storyline, this pathetic, moronic storyline about how Kavanaugh was too mean in his response. And so he's not he's not judge-like, even though he's been a judge for like over a decade on the D.C. Court of Appeals. He wasn't being a judge when he was in front of the Senate. He was being accused of, of being a, a, a predator, and he was on the defense stand, okay? He was being treated like a, a criminal, even though it's a non-criminal proceeding. He wasn't being a judge. He was being treated like a criminal. The reason they were so upset, though, and that they would switch to that narrative is that they thought they had him on the ropes. They thought they were going to finish him off. And Lindsey Graham, along with Kavanaugh, rallied. But this was close. And I think that that gets lost in all this. And it also was not without consequences. I had the opportunity today to speak to our buddy, the Dersh, on Rising. And that interview will be appearing tomorrow morning. If you want to see it, you go to Hill.TV. But I was able to speak to Dersh about this a little bit, and he made some important points. Um, one, that it's not like there are not consequences for Kavanaugh that came from this. Harvard said that he's no longer allowed to teach because they, they once again, at the academy, they cave to the leftist mob. This is how they do things there. Play 13. I'm particularly outraged at my colleagues and students uh, at Harvard Law School, those of them who have made it impossible for Kavanaugh to continue to uh, teach there. It's rampant McCarthyism at its worst, reminiscent of what I experienced when I was a student at Brooklyn College in the 50s, where professors were fired because it was suspected that they went 17 or 20 years old. They might have been uh, members or fellow travelers of the Communist Party. We just have to put an end to this. That's right. This has to stop. Because this is corrosive to politics. 
this degrades and erodes political discourse. And for the for the left to have ever been the ones trying to shame conservatives over Trump and his and his erasing of norms, the hypocrisy here is insane. In fact, Dirsch also spoke about that specifically about how how one of the primary things you see going on here with the way the left tried to take down Kavanaugh is just how hypocritical the whole thing is. Play 12. It's hypocrisy run rampant. The Constitution would not permit impeachment of a sitting justice for actions he took while a private citizen 35 years ago, uh, nor I think would it permit using the laws of perjury, which are very tough. They have to be about a material fact. It has to have been a deliberate lie, not forgetfulness, not a boast, not an exaggeration, but a willful, deliberate lie about a material fact. I think that the Democrats are shooting themselves in the foot. We ought to be moving forward. Let's judge Justice Kavanaugh on his um, performance as a justice of the Supreme Court. That's right. Let's actually let Kavanaugh. By the way, Dershowitz doesn't even like Kavanaugh as a judge. Dershowitz disagrees with his jurisprudence, disagrees with, uh, he disagrees with McConnell, who, by the way, is like a boss. Got to give credit where it's due. McConnell gets two big high fives for what he pulled off here. Dershowitz disagrees with holding the Senate, uh, or holding the America, the Senate seat, the Merrick Garland seat open, which I would know went to Gorsuch. It's not this isn't even this isn't even the Garland seat, but people still talk about that. Like they're keeping some kind of a, a scoreboard tally. You want to keep a scoreboard. You know what you got to keep in mind? The only reason Republicans are able to get through the justices they, they do right now is because Harry Reid figured, hey, I'll, I'll Obama's going to be president forever, man. So let's just pack the courts with left wing activists pretending to be judges and let's get rid of the filibuster. Well, Harry Reid started that battle, He started that fight. And Republicans now set to finish it at least for the time being. Uh, but this is this is where you, you see that the damage that has been done to, I, I think, to the, the whole Senate confirmation process, I think they should just get rid of it. I mean, they should do it, but it should be a very pro forma, you know, okay, this guy presents. No witnesses, no more grandstanding for the senators, no more asking questions that are really just disguised speeches. None of that. It should turn into, okay, this the... This justice gets to make a statement and then the Senate votes. That's it. That's advising. They know his background. They know his or her background in case uh, cases they've been involved in. That's it. No, because otherwise you just open it up to this. And we're going to you think this character assassination effort was bad. Just wait until Ruth Bader Ginsburg is no longer on the Supreme Court. And they try to replace her with Amy Coney Barrett. Liberal heads will explode. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to take my privacy back by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection takes only one click. You can protect yourself with ExpressVPN at less than $7 a month. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your stuff, ExpressVPN is the solution. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com. buck That's expressvpn.com dot com slash buck for three months free with a one year package.
All right, I'm here with the winner, Nick Lentz. First of all, Nick, congratulations on a, a victory over a real veteran in, in Gray Maynard. And I, I think this fight really highlighted the improvement and the development of your striking. Yeah, first and foremost, I want to give out a shout out to my homie Brett Kavanaugh. Way to go, Special K. And then on top of that... <laughs> there you go, UFC fighter Nick Lentz there, won over the weekend. And uh, wanted to give a high five to his, I think he said to his homie, Brett Kavanaugh. Is that right, John? I think he said to his homie, Brett Kavanaugh. A special K, um, which, you know, look, uh, there, there are plenty of us. You don't get this sense from the media. There are plenty of us who, unlike, uh, what's her name? Who's the, who's the gross female unfunny comedian that got arrested at the camera? Thank you. Amy Schumer. Plenty of the rest. And, and Alyssa Mulatto. Alyssa Mulatto was on Meet the Press yesterday. Meet the press. This is supposed to be the most, you know, kind of elite Washington agenda-setting political Sunday show. Are they going to list a lot on there? You know, the most interesting part of the interview I did with her was when her chihuahua weed on the rug next to my foot. I mean, this is crazy. True story, by the way. True story. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, this UFC. Oh, but the, the other thing with the UFC, I, I didn't watch it. Um, I think UFC is interesting. I will say that. And. It's definitely changed the way people think about martial arts and 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 all that uh, as well. You know, I think it's a lot harder to watch these movies where you see lots of guys just doing endless like high spin kicks when you actually watch the UFC fight and how real hand to hand combat works, uh, or you know, hand to hand fighting. Uh, but this thing with McGregor and that other guy, what was the Russian guy's name, John? Do you know what I'm talking about? He, he you know, he he, yeah. Oh, it was crazy. It was like a, a melee. Outside in the ring after the fight, you know, the corners went after each other and people were all is producer Mike. Is he is he around producer Mike? Did you see this thing? It was crazy. Uh, you know, Conor McGregor, who's apparently quite the instigator. He got into it with this other guy, this Russian guy. I can't remember his name, but their corners got into the fight. And and apparently it was so heated that they didn't give the belt, the champion belt, out in the ring because they thought that it would continue and there might even be more of a kerfuffle. Anyway, it's it's, it's wild stuff out there in the in MMA land. But but back to uh, what we focus on here in the show, which is politics and all things going on in the country. Uh, you know the, you know what you haven't heard that much about recently? I just, just want to put this out there for a moment. You know what you have not been hearing that much about? The Russia investigation. What happened with all that? Well, what's going on there? I thought this was an urgent need for, you know, our republic. I, I thought we we absolutely, desperately uh, had to do everything in our power to figure out what happened with the Russian interference in our election. Is Russia, we set up Facebook post and we made the fun of Hillary. And then when we made fun of Hillary enough time, it got shared. And then people vote based on lock her up, lock her up, you know, like this. That's that's pretty much it, okay? That The Facebook trolls, Russia did some stuff, didn't do anything, didn't change the election, but, oh, Russian interference, this is about the sanctity of our democracy. They say all this stuff. And you say to yourself, well, hold on a second. Why is it that we've moved past that so very quickly? We We didn't get, we didn't get the answers that we were told we'd get, right? Which was that Trump colluded with Russia to steal the election. That's what the promise of this investment. They're, they're going to pretend like that didn't happen. That's what it was all about. And the more information we get, the more that's out there now for us to see from this investigation, the more we know 
that not only was this not what was promised, but the fix was in from the left very early on to try and take Trump down by cooking the books. They were trying to end the Trump presidency via this investigation and by doing the investigation, by essentially faking some aspects of the investigation at the FBI and DOJ side. And that's why the more information we get out about this, the, the more, in a sense, jaw-dropping I think these revelations will be. Peter King, the congressman from Long Island, as he told me once, not, not fancy Long Island, like, you know, working people Long Island. I said, oh, all right, cool, you know, the working folks. Because I, I said to him, I said, are you from out east? He said, no, no, we don't call it that. It's not, not, it's not like that. Uh, but anyway, here's what he said about the Russia probe, and uh, he's all over this. Play 21. We are really calling on President Trump to declassify it. If there's one or two specific items that he thinks might be damaging to a foreign ally, and I've gone through these documents, almost all of them myself, I don't see anything in there that's going to damage us in any way. The only one's going to be damaged is the reputations of certain people at the FBI and the Justice Department uh, for the way this uh, investigation's been conducted. Now, I think it's important for the president, not just for his own good, and it is going to be for his good because it'll show really the baselessness of this uh, investigation, but also for the American people to see the abuses that were carried out at the highest levels of government. And those abuses have to be corrected because as President Trump today, it can be a Democratic president in eight years or six years or whatever. The fact is that no president and no candidate for the presidency should be subjected to this type of uh, conduct, which was done here. So, yes, I'm really I am calling on the president to re, to declassify those documents as quickly as possible. I think here here's my theory on this, because I spoke to the president about this weeks ago during that interview. I've told you all about a bunch. I think that they're holding this for another week or two because they know that when people see it, when they finally see it, and this is look, they're holding the truth and they're well within their rights to do it. Yeah. And, and they're also doing what the other side has demanded, which was just give it another scrub. Make sure there's no really sensitive classified information that's going to do true, true damage to national security. Uh, the redactions of my colleague, John Solomon at the Hill has written about this just today. The redactions are clearly CYA or CYB, we put it that way, for cover your butt. The redactions to the information we have from DOJ and FBI about the Russia collusion investigation are meant to protect the bureaucratic butt of those involved. That's what's been redacted so far. And there's no reason that I can see to continue to withhold this stuff unless they, they're, I think there's just a desperation on the left to keep it out of the public light as long as possible, that they don't know, they don't have a better alternative than just delay, delay, delay. It's look, well, look what they tried with Kavanaugh. Even if they had delayed Kavanaugh, the chances of the, of the Dems taking the Senate were pretty slim no matter what. But their main game was delay, delay, delay. Just try to wait for better times. You know, you never know what can happen. You never know. That was the idea. Once this information comes out and we see the redactions, you'll, you'll have two main conclusions. Uh, from the, the FISA information, and I'd like to see the full scope of the Mueller probe. Think about that. We have not been told, we the American people have not been told what has gone into this Mueller probe in terms of what was authorized for investigation. We've gotten a, a version of it, but not the full version. The full version of it's still classified. In fact, so classified that when Mueller's team went in front of a federal judge, uh, I believe it was Emmett Sullivan, they initially tried to hold information back from the federal judge. Like, ah, we can't tell you that. And he said, oh, I'm cleared for whatever. You're going to tell me that. 
So there's so much that we don't know. But when we finally get that information, what we'll see is that this was that that the redaction, they've been lying to us, which will even further damage the credibility of the FBI and the DOJ as non-political organizations. They were very politicized. It's a legacy of the Obama administration. You had Eric Holder, for heaven's sakes, running the DOJ. It's a legacy of the Obama administration that this kind of behavior um, went on the way that it did. You know, it's not surprising at all when you look at it in that context. Uh, but you're going to find that it's highly that, that it was all about covering up for for their mistakes and and for the politicization, uh, and that's why they held. It. And then you're also going to see that there was a they manufactured the pretext for this investigation too, which I think will be the single most damaging thing. Once we have that in plain language and black and white in front of us, and it's irrefutable. Uh, I really hope the American people hold the left and the deep state to account over this. And the only way to do it is just a massive red wave that wipes out as much of the Democrat uh, map as possible coming up in November. That's the way that we can get some justice. This has got to be thoroughly investigated. I hope the Senate will do so. If he is on the Supreme Court uh, and and the Senate hasn't investigated, then I then the House will have to. Investigate now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. That's Congressman, uh, Democratic Congressman Jerry Nadler. They think they're not going to give this up, my friends. They think they're just going to continue this. They just try to drag Kavanaugh even deeper in the mud. Just keep doing everything in their power to make his life miserable, to force the American people to have to confront the delusions of the left when it comes to Kavanaugh. They really have no governor on their craziness at this point. Uh, they won't give this up. They think that they think that that's going to do what for the country. There's no way that they would remove they'd be able to remove uh, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh from. So they just want to create an investigation over this. I get so angry, and and I, I always wish that I, I could just make make my my friend Chris Peranto appear. You know, I've interviewed him, talked to him so many times in the past. I wish we could make him appear whenever I hear this, just so he could really, you know, drop drop some knowledge bombs on fools because they'll say, oh, but the Republicans investigated Benghazi. Yeah, that was the overrunning of two U.S. facilities, the murder of four Americans in an important combat zone, and the first loss of a U.S. ambassador in decades. We lost three other Americans alongside. I mean, people died. We could have lost dozens were it not for Pronto and his team and some you know, some uh, people from my former community who stepped up, you know, and if you've seen the movie 13 Hours, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They stepped into the breach. They they kept probably dozens of people, maybe scores of people from being murdered that night. And yeah, it was a security failure. And yeah, they should have seen it coming. You're going to compare that, which is what I'm hearing out there. I- I'm not making this up. People are saying, oh, well, then they did Benghazi. So now we should investigate the Kavanaugh. You're going to investigate the investigation? Of, of Kavanaugh? It's not even a criminal investigation. H- how are you going to have hearings on this? You're, you're going to subpoena people even further to talk about this? This this is what Democrats offer? I mean, they, 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 they're they unwilling to be the, the... The problem is Democrat representatives are unwilling to be the adults in the room when it comes to their base and their own party. They will play into these delusions. They'll act like this is normal for people to think. It's not just Jerry Jerry Nadler, by the way. Uh, Senator Hirono, 
who I think is is the dumbest woman in the Senate. And that's that's quite a that's quite a title to hold. She may be the dumbest person in the Senate. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, she, it's very possible she could be the single dumbest U.S. senator right now based on what I've seen of her in the last month or so. But, you know, here's her position on whether this should be investigated or not. Play 17. Do you view Justice Brett Kavanaugh as a legitimate justice? He's going to be on the Supreme Court with a huge taint and a big asterisk after his name. And uh, the partisanship that he showed uh, was astounding. And uh, the uh, uh, conspiracy theory that he accused us of behaving in was bizarre. So uh, prior to his testimony, uh, I had already decided, having gone through all his record and his dissents, that there was a pattern uh, which showed that he was not for a women's reproductive choice. That is sure. And uh, a number of other uh, patterns that were very troubling, and I had already decided. But with regard to this sham FBI investigation, everyone knows that when you just interview a small number of people and not uh, the dozens of others who wanted to be interviewed by the FBI, uh, that is a sham. Everything that she said there was wrong. It's it's hard to have such a, a long-winded ramble and not accidentally say something that's correct. But she managed. Senator Hirono managed. Because she's the dumbest person in the Senate. Everything that she said there was incorrect. Uh, this notion that Kavanaugh showed partisanship. Let's never lose sight of what happened and what the Democrats did here. And what a bunch of gutter creatures the Democrats are. And how low and unseemly and just disgusting they are absolutely abhorrent. I mean, they are rotten. They put Kavanaugh in a position where they not only were accusing him of the flimsiest kinds of, of, uh, in terms of evidence, flimsiest allegations you could come up with. You know, don't know when, don't know where, don't know who, don't know, all he knows is that one person did it. Flimsiest allegations you could really conjure. On top of that, they ran with a crazy person's allegations of uh, of Kavanaugh in a gang rape ring that she herself refuted in an on-air interview. She didn't mean to refute them, but she's obviously not well and not very bright and just destroyed her own story on TV. And and he re- he responded to this clearly coordinated partisan assault by just calling it for what it was and now that is partisan but, you know, th- this reminds me, the left does this a lot. This is a tactic that Obama got away with all the time. Obama would say, you know, some people on the left are saying this. Or, sorry, not on the left. He's Some conservatives, some GOP are claiming this. And, you know, they're just being partisan. They're just being partisan. And you would say, well, hold on a second. When Obama says they're just being partisan, is that his version of they're not doing what I want them to do? And I'm pushing a very partisan agenda. But I'm not being partisan. They're being partisan. There's a lack of understanding or at least a lack of honesty about what's really happening when you're having that kind of a political conversation. The only people who are partisans are those who won't go along with your partisan agenda. But this is the this is the delusion. The left looks look, the leftism is people, you know, they've lost it. I mean, this is really we're getting into crazy town territory here. Uh, the Democrat Party, they don't have a lot left. You know, they, they you look at what they're pushing for 
You got a little bit of Marxism here and there, a little more government bureaucrats and employees here or there, you know, social policies that are incoherent and self-refuting now, you know, the 37 genders and all this stuff. It's just, what are they really holding on to at this point? And that's why when people like Hirono go on TV and say all this stuff, you realize they're speaking to people who are largely unwell and have a real separation from reality going on in their brain. And the fact that Hirono also, by the way, the FBI investigation was a sham. These people don't care that me and many others before the investigation even happened, said it's not a criminal investigation. You're not going to learn anything. This is a delay tactic. And this is this is the, the sham was the was the demand for the sham investigation. It was never going to get anywhere. And anyone who knows anything about how the FBI and how background checks work know that no power of subpoena, no, no ability to compel testimony, no ability to compel or, or subpoena records. None. Hey, would you like to tell me something about this thing? No? Okay, see you later. That's how a background check works. That's it. The only real power they have is you can't lie to them, right? But you can refuse to talk to them, and they can't just grab whatever personal private records of other people they want in order to see what's going on. So it was always going to be nonsense. By the way, I love I love how Trump is just taking it to these idiots over Kavanaugh. He's just going, Trump is going in, you know, he's doing a double leg fly kick here you know he is doing a, a a suplex isn't that a move in wrestling you know he used to be in the wwe back in the day right john a suplex off the top belt buckle of the liberals here uh play 19 i thought the way they behaved was absolutely atrocious i've never seen anything like it from the leaks of important documents to uh the statements they made to watching a Blumenthal who was a fraudster when it came to Vietnam and what he did was horrible. I thought that the way they conducted themselves, the way they dealt, dealt with a high level, brilliant, going to be a great justice of the Supreme Court, the way they really tortured him and his family, I thought it was a disgrace. I thought, I thought it was one of the most disgraceful performances I've ever seen. That's how a Republican president should talk about what they did to Kavanaugh. And Trump is the one who will do it. He doesn't get up there and give some boilerplate. Well, you know, we should all come together more and we shouldn't be. We should tone down the heated rhetoric. And you know, that conservatism should be done. Done. Yeah, we still hold we still hold ideas and principles of conservatism that are the same. But in terms of tone and tactics, we want to win. Or we want to just get crushed by the other side all the time while they pat us on the head for playing so nice. Trump doesn't want to get patted on the head and told to play nice. He wants to win. You know what? I think you and I both want to win, too. That's why things are changing right now. And that's why we're not tired of winning. But thanks to Trump, uh, we are winning quite a lot. We have a midterm coming up, an election. So far, I'm dreaming of those candidates. I see those candidates before my eyes. Every night before I go to sleep, sometimes while I'm sleeping, I love them so much. Cory Booker. Pocahontas, Pocahontas. I've got more Indian blood in me than Pocahontas, and I have none. I mean, sadly. 
I said to her, why do you say you're of Indian heritage? Well, my mother told me I have high cheekbones. That's the answer. Do you have any documentation? No, we don't. Oh, I see. You have high cheekbones. Well, I have high cheekbones, too. Hey, maybe I'm an Indian. Isn't it ridiculous, folks? I mean, the, the left wants to lecture us about Trump and his decorum and his tweets. And I'm hearing more and more from my swamp sources that they're, the plan really is, as much as I'm hoping it's Hillary, me too, Hillary, as much as I'm hoping it's Hillary, the plan is going to be Warren for 2020. Maybe Warren and then a uh, a, a Veep ticket of either uh, Kamala Harris or maybe maybe Booker. But they really think it's going to be Warren. And, you know, here's somebody who is entirely unremarkable in her career were it not for racial fraud. Racial fraud. You know, if you lie about the assets you have in the bank to get a loan, you go to jail. You get in a lot of trouble. Prison, federal prison. Right? If you lie about that, you get into a whole lot of trouble. If you lie about your race in order to get into a university, or in this case, to get a professorship at a at the most prestigious university, really at Harvard, uh, Democrats, as long as you toe the line for them, are, are willing to excuse the whole thing. I mean, it it should it's it's embarrassing. And there's and then Elizabeth Warren has here's what's important about it to me. Well, there's a lot of things, but here's what I won't let go. She has never owned up to this. She has never said if she came out and said, you know what? I disagree with our racial spoil system. I did this knowing that I could get away with it because I don't believe that this is ethical, you know, but maybe she could claim. But I also think I have enough that technically I technically I qualify. No, instead, she pulled this whole high cheekbones thing. And then we're supposed to pretend that somebody who went to law school at Rutgers, I'm not putting Rutgers down, but you don't go to law school at Rutgers and then become a professor at Harvard Law. You just don't, unless you have a special angle, right? Unless you have something to help you through. And she's never been forced to own up to this. And the fact that the left, I mean, this is just like the NFL kneeling thing. You know, Trump is incredible at picking these areas. It really is like a political sixth sense that he has. He knows that he can pick things that the left just gets so fired up and energized about that they lose sight of whether it's a political winner for them or not. And, you know, the NFL kneeling, for example, the left thought, oh, and, and these different players who obviously were kneeling, uh, but the media narrative around this was, oh, the players, they thought that the players would win out and that all these teams would eventually allow kneeling. And Trump kept poking at this, saying, oh, you, know, you guys better stand, show because Trump understands that at the end of the day, a vast majority of the American people want respect to be shown for the flag. More so than that love football. People want respect shown for the flag. Trump knew that, right? He understood that. And when he refers to Elizabeth Warren as Pocahontas, he knows that the left is going to jump in. Oh, my gosh, he's being a racist. Why? Pocahontas is a historical figure. We all know from the Disney movie, which was, by the way, not one of the better Disney movies out there. Uh, I was very dis and I'm somebody who really liked the early Disney movies of that era. You know, Lion King, I, Beauty and the Beast, a great movie. The original or well, the, I guess not original, but the old school Robin Hood where he's a fox. It's a great it's a great cartoon. If your kids haven't seen that, it's one of my favorite cartoons from back. Cartoons used to be way better than they are now. Now they've ah, the cartoons they're making for kids these days. 
But he knows when he calls Warren Pocahontas, they all go, oh, he's racist. They jump on this. But what, what a lot of us who are just normal people, who are not emotionally destabilized leftists, what we hear is, why are they, why are they defending Elizabeth Warren being called, you know, she's not a Native American, right? We all understand this. So why do they act like this is some big slight against Native Americans? The point is she's a fake. She's a phony. And Pocahontas is a very well-known female Native American in in our history. You know, there are others, but Pocahontas is probably the most well-known. I mean, you could say she's not the most historically significant. I'm sure I'm about to get an angry email from somebody about the Iroquois Nation and how it was a matriarchal society and how they were the basis for our U.S. Constitution and Whew, there's some really interesting revisionism out there about uh, native peoples in America and how technologically and politically advanced their societies were. Uh, when you have not mastered the wheel or writing, it is tough to claim, I think, that the European colonists were taking much of their uh, political system or, you know, I, I'm just, you know, you can call me crazy. But but with the Warren thing, uh, with calling her Pocahontas, and as you'll notice today, one of the themes we're hitting on in the show, the left deserves to be mocked. The left has to be ridiculed. If they are taken seriously, they when they're being unserious, if they are taken seriously, there's no way we ever snap them out of it. Uh, they need to be mocked and ridiculed and and brought down a peg when they're acting this way on the in these positions on these areas because. Satire is a very powerful tool. It's very powerful. Uh, there's a reason why we still know the names of people like Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain, why we know the names of people like Voltaire, because of their it was their satirical powers right in, in their writing that were so timeless and, and really resonated with people. Um, and and you, you must be willing to satirize people like Elizabeth Warren. You must be willing to point out the hypocrisy that the left has here uh, and, and that, that she's even being considered, that she's being talked about by anyone as a possible 2020 contender is just mind-blowing. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. You've done some interesting stuff in terms of who you're listening to. Mm -hmm. Um. And that's, I think, a real question right now, right? Like, who's Congress listening to? You saw all these survivors telling their stories. You've done stuff with immigrants in, who are undocumented, and I think with survivors as well. Um, yeah. in, in your district, what has that been like? Well, it, you know, in this, this political moment is so unique, and sometimes I feel like I have this job of being something of a social worker or even yeah. a therapist in my district because this period has been so re has been so re-traumatizing for so many folks and especially in a country where we do not have uh, reliable access to health care, let alone affordable health care. Let alone mental health care. Let alone Good mental health care. Yeah. This has been a very difficult time for immigrants, for women, for survivors, for people who just care about the health of American democracy. It's very stressful. Yeah, like, I'm just, like, so, like, there for my district because, like, it's so traumatizing for them to have, like, the president who's, like, Mr. Trauma Man and all of the traumatizing that he does. <sighs> Whoa. 
Ocasio-Cortez, a, a darling of the left wing, um, and, and obviously not somebody who is particularly up to speed on policies and, and, and facts, but comes across, I mean, speaks liberalism fluently, speaks leftism as though it is her, it is her first language, more so than English. I mean, she really understands how to sound like someone who has spent far too much time in the comment section of Talking Points Memo and Salon.com. And that's what really appeals to the left. And she's a a progressive insurgent candidate from Queens in New York City, uh, which means that she doesn't have to worry about being too far left. I mean, she's got de Blasio as the mayor. I mean, New York, there's so New York is so lucky that it has this center of capitalism to leech off of that. New York politicians have this massive treasure trove of well of treasure <laughs> they have this big big piggy bank that they can ransack whenever they want which is the high earners in new york city and so that in a sense keeps the city going and everything seems like it's fine even though it's really poorly run the democrat party is is a disaster and the subway is is just one example of how when there's a real challenge they don't know what the heck they're doing anyway i know new yorkers we love to complain about the subway now I guess technically I'm a swamp creature and not a New Yorker anymore. Gosh, that's sad. But she says she's a social worker and a therapist for her district. And this goes to how, you know, when I tell you that there's a mass delusion happening and that the left is having a collective nervous breakdown, I think it's only fair to point out that those are the kinds of terms that the left uses to describe what's going on as well. They refer to Trump merely being president as triggering. They refer to, and remember, triggering is something that came into left-wing parlance via the notion of a past traumatic memory that comes back to you, right? So if you were in a horrific car accident, let's say, and, you know, you heard a loud bang, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, it triggered that car accident, or, or here, here's one that I can tell you about. I had friends who were deployed overseas, and they came to know the sound of incoming for mortar rounds far too well. And certain noises would bring them back. So it would trigger that low-level PTSD that they had, right? But they think that triggering now just applies to Trump himself, right? They think that his mere existence as president is a traumatizing and re-traumatizing experience, which really degrades the whole notion of psychological trauma. Right? If not getting your way traumatizes you, if not having your politics reflected back to you constantly from the president of the United States is something that you have emotional difficulty dealing with, isn't it fair to say that you're not very emotionally well-adjusted? Isn't it straightforward then to just point out that you got some growing up to do and you got some ish, you got some ish, as the kids would say, to work through? Um, so I, I just wanted to know that Ocasio-Cortez, who is a darling of the left now, refers to leftists in her district as people who are having a psychological breakdown because of Trump. I, I, I'm not reaching when I point that out. I'm not just basing it on their behavior and trying to mock them, although that's fun too. Hashtag own the libs. It's also the case that they recognize that this is really, that leftism is now a psychological disorder in the era of Trump. Uh, but that wasn't even the, the silliest or, or weirdest thing she said. I got to tell you, I have always there are some viral Internet clips uh, that, that are out there that you just never forget. Right. There's the uh, O'Reilly, you know, we'll do it live. You know, we'll do it live. I mean, you know, and you can say that to somebody and they know exactly you can say 
Those words will do it live. And everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. I mean, that clip is, it's timeless. It's truly great. Uh, there's also the maps like such as the Iraq and the South Africa, like such as that young woman, you know, very beautiful young woman in, you know, in a, in a it was the Miss America pageant, I think, or Miss Teen USA pageant or whatever it was. And and she uh, she got a little caught up in her answer and didn't really know what the heck she was saying. And I know what that's like. You know, sometimes I've gotten really tired. And now I'm excusing the lovely young woman's behavior. Of course, right? I'm excusing it. Whatever. Uh, but I know I, I caught myself. But Ocasio-Cortez had a moment that reminds me of that. I just want to play this for you. There's so much here. This was on MSNBC over the weekend. This is the favorite new Congress Congresswoman of the progressive left. And here's the kind of stuff that she offers up in terms of her analysis of what's going on with the Congress. This is going to be delicious. Play clip one. And you're also coming really as an outsider at a moment where I think people like are watching what happened today and want to storm the gates. And yeah. you're going to actually do that. Mm-hmm. So what that's, what's, mm-hmm. what's your plan? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with changing our strategy around governance. You know, there's a lot of inside baseball and inside the beltway, as you, you know, you, you always hear that term thrown around. But there are very few organizers in Congress. And I do think that organizers operate differently. It's a different kind of strategy. And what it is is really about organizing and and really thinking about that word organizing segmenting people being strategic in their actions in really bringing together a cohesive strategy of putting pressure on the chamber instead of only focusing on the pressures inside the chamber that's really interesting thought John, did you? That's really interesting. I love Chris Hayes. He jumps into the. That's really interesting. I burst out laughing when he <laughs> when he rapped. It's amazing. With that. that was straight out of the Mario Lopez playbook for that clip because he was like, "Thank you very much, Miss Tennessee." Like he like leaned in and did this like deep voice announcer man thing after her likes such as maps. Ocasio Cortez. I mean, that was inc- John. Can you jump to the middle of that again, just where she starts talking about organizing? Can you do that? Because I I don't want to hear the whole thing again. I just want to hear the. Oh, okay. Well, close enough. Yeah, it's like organizing is like like so what's different about organizers is with the organizing is that they organize and like outside the box and you know, close the loop on the organizing of the organizational and there's like the Congress with the organizers and they're just like so much of that stuff. <laughs> she was. I mean, John, I'm not being unfair, right? I mean that was one of the craziest word salads I've ever heard on television. I think she was trying to find what she wanted to say. And yes, that's right. Couldn't, she she's, couldn't get to, it, to her point. That's very astute analysis. I mean, she she comes out and you're thinking to yourself like, okay, I kind of know where she's going. She's a community organizer. She wants to kind of borrow from the Obama playbook of, you know, community organizing isn't just a, a way of doing, you know, agitation, uh, public agitation in pursuit of personal political uh, goals. Right. It's not just whipping people up into an Alinsky style mob. There's something more to it than that. But then she just gets lost and she's tr- she's she's looking for the articulate soundbite that's programmed into her mind because so much of progressivism is really this learned language of trigger warnings and like hierarchies of patriarchy and victimology and white privilege and checking your privilege. And there's this whole other lingo and these phrases that come with it. And she's looking for the, you know, she's looking to lock into that. 
but she got a little lost and then you realize like she's not really thinking about what she's saying you know this is like when al al sharpton does this resist we much like the resist you know you realize he's reading off the prompter but he's not actually thinking about the words that he's saying ocasio cortez had a r-e-s-p-i-c-t we should keep that as a we should keep that as a drop job just to have for you know important moments like this r-e-s-p-i-c-t that was one of my favorites uh anyway yeah ocasio-cortez this is the the great the great hope of progressives in this election is that she's a part of a crop of new insurgent left-wing candidates who are pushing for uh, openly advocating for socialism can she define socialism no but like she has an economics degree. Uh, can she define Marxism? No. Could she tell you much about Marx or Engels? No. But she sounds right to the left. And if you sound right and come from the right group, right, the right identity group, they give you a tremendous amount of deference. And, and that's what you see happening here. Uh, I, I would just note that my fear and I, I know I'm on this, and I'm gonna, I'm going to be banging the warning drum on this way in advance. And you're like, Buck, come on. Economy's great, unbelievable jobs numbers. Everything is going so well. And I agree, and that's because of Trump, because of the Republicans that are in charge now. And it's I think it's going to keep going for a while. Here is what I'm telling you, though. Right now, we can mock these socialists and these leftists in the Democratic Party because they sound foolish, and we know their ideas are foolish and people are in a frame of mind where they will reason through it and understand, you know, anybody who is paying attention and knows anything, you know, not limousine liberals. And for people who people for whom politics is really just an emotional game and it's all about virtue signaling, they just want to talk about how they're, you know, Marxists and redistributing the wealth and everything because it makes them feel good about themselves. They don't think of the economic consequences. My concern is that we are going to have a structural economic reset because of the debt and because of the accumulation, particularly of corporate debt load. And you see that with all these uh, these high yield bonds that are and, and the corporate debt structures for some of these companies. They're never going to be able to actually make good on their obligations. Rising interest rates and a massive. Uh, well, we have a trillion dollar student loan debt, which is a problem. I don't think it's a catastrophic problem. But then you have our $20 trillion of debt and you have rising interest rates. And I just see that at some point you're going to have a cyclical reset. And that's when all of a sudden when people really get a hit and unemployment ticks up, even if it's cleaning out the system in a sense, even if it's just a necessary you know, part of the economic life cycle, that's when people will be open to the idea of socialism in America. Not you, not me, but there'll be a much bigger swath of America that wants to hear about free health care, free college, free this, free that. The rich will pay. The rich will pay. Uh, and I think that day is coming. I think that historically, if you just look back, I think there's a, a, a historical cycle that we will we will enter into here. I don't know if it's going to be the next two years, but it will occur, in my opinion, during the Trump presidency, because I think Trump's going to be president for eight years that's what we have to be on guard for, and that's why the educating of the public on these issues of the economy and government interference in the economy has to happen now, and we have to stay vigilant. We can't just mock. We have to also tackle the arguments of the left about socialism because when the time is right, they will make a real play for it.
Global Verification Network is the answer to all your background investigation and vetting company needs. This is a veteran-owned and operated institution, my friends. When you are hiring people for your business, however large or small your business may be, whatever field you are in, you need background investigations done. And you want somebody that you can trust, that does it quickly, efficiently, and does not outsource or offshore the work or your data. That's why you want Global Verification Network. They have risk mitigation experts in Chicago and spread out throughout the country. Nothing they do is ever offshored. All their employees are located here in the United States. Call 877-695-1179. Again, 877-695-1179. And tell them Buck Sexton sent you. Also, you can go to mygvn.com. Again, Global Verification Network. Leave no stone unturned. Mygvn.com is their website. Donang Dick. He's a Donang Dick. That's Blumenthal. He talked about when I was in Donang province in Vietnam. And I was fighting up the hill and men are going left and right of me. They're dying. They're being struck by bullets. But I went back to their rescue. I went back and I got them. And then I made a second attempt. And bullets are going left and right and over my shoulders and they're hitting my men. And I used to think, wow, this guy's a pretty brave guy. But then I found out he's a fraud. He never was in Vietnam. He was in the reserves, though, remember that. And he said, I demand honesty. This is true. Exact words. I demand honesty, integrity, and I demand that there's no lying going on. And I'm saying, wait a minute, that's the guy that lied about in the worst, in the history of our country, if you look at it, he lied. Danang Dick, one of my favorites. Producer John, is that is that the best Trump Trump nickname for a political opponent? I think it's better. It's better than little Marco. It's better than low energy Jeb. I think it's at the very top of the list. Crooked Hillary is the all-time best because I think that that was that maybe won him the election. Just dubbing her Crooked Hillary because it just got right to it. That is her brand. She is Crooked Hillary. You know, I think it was incredible. So I think. What do you think, John? Denang Dick, number one. It's not my favorite. Not your favorite, huh? All right, fine. You know, you're entitled. What is your favorite? I like Crooked Hillary. I think that's the best. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll take. I'll take that answer. Yeah, Crooked Hillary is really good. Crooked, Hillary, Crooked Hillary's legit, as nicknames go. Lil Marco was low energy. The fact that he called Jeb low energy, I also thought was amazing at the time. Here's why this is. It, look, it's not just because I love. I, I love Trump is is incredible content. I mean, the, the way that he gets up there, and the way he tells stories and gets that crowd engaged, the stuff that he says, it sticks in your mind. He's such a showman. I mean, he really is. He's a world class performer. Uh, never mind the fact that he's now shown in, in, incredible, you know, leadership skills and and dare I say political bravery. You know, he didn't have to do any of this. He was a billionaire. He doesn't have to do any of this. I, I do think it bears reminding sometimes, uh, or that we should at least take a moment to step back and say, you know, he didn't. He's not the Clintons. He didn't do this to become rich. He was already rich. He's doing this because this is what he thinks needs to happen for the country. This is real. He is in fact doing public service, although he's not the kind of guy who refers to it as such. But it's so important that there's somebody now who will mock and ridicule the left because there is a certain breed of conservative 
Some of you might even be thinking about, you know, some names that come to mind. But there's a certain type of conservative that finds mocking the left to be beneath them. We should get mocked all the time. We should be called, you know, racist, inbred, hillbilly, beer drinking NASCAR drivers, you know, because we are conservative. Right. And, and so they paint with this really broad brush and they just make fun of us. You know, we're all a bunch of Bible thumping, racist, you know, middle aged white males. That's the Republican Party, the left. And they just hammer that culturally all the time. And we're just supposed to take it. You know, the old conservatism, the kind of weekly standard conservatism that was dominant in our media discourse for a long time. That's faded away. Now it's no, no, you're going to make fun of us. We're going to make fun of you. You know, you're going to they're going to they made fun of Bush and said his eyes were too close together and he could use a monocle instead of glasses. And he's an imbecile and all this stuff. They did that for years and years. Bush never really hit back. Nobody on the GOP really hit back. McCain didn't really hit back. Romney didn't really hit back. We actually need somebody who when when we see what the opposition is willing to do, will will fight fire with fire. These people are clowns, Pelosi and Booker and Feinstein and Blumenthal. And just go, these people are jokers. Only it's not funny because they're really doing harm to the country and they're willing to destroy people and do very dishonest things in the process. You know, and they're delusional. They deserve to be mocked. They need to be ridiculed. They want to step into public life. It's not just conservatives that need to sit there and take it and deal with this anymore. And that's this is important, my friends. Okay, ridiculing what should be ridiculed in the progressive left is not just a little sweetener that Trump throws in there for speeches. We need more of this. We need him to own the libs. I almost forgot to say it, everybody. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day! Yay! Okay, all right. Now, now I know this is also known as as Columbus Day, right? Okay, fine. I I know that people don't like to focus in on this too much because who really cares about Columbus Day? And the answer is I don't know. Not really me. I don't even know. It's not even really a holiday. Like John, do you feel like people should even have Columbus Day off? Well, yeah, I took today off uh, at my other job, so yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, bro. I, I, I came in not... just for you today. <laughs> John, you're the man, dude. You're you are the rock of Gibraltar of Team Hut, man. You are always, always there for us. Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh it, it's just it, for me it's just not a not a serious holiday. You know, it's not up there with the real holidays, so I can't get that energized about it. But there was a little bit of a news story here because Columbus, Ohio, uh where lots of fun things happen, I'm sure. Uh, they are not celebrating Columbus Day, so they will not. So the city is named for Christopher Columbus, but they will not celebrate Columbus Day. They are instead celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. So I think to be consistent, uh, John, what do you think? I think they should have to call it Indigenous Peoples Town, right? They got to rename this is like when people in Austin, Texas want to change the street names and then they go, wait a second, we might have to change the name of our whole city. Washington, D.C. also has to change its name. Washington, D.C. would have to change Columbia. its name. Although I will say it's a little confusing when I say I'm, I live in Washington. People are always like the state or, you know, D.C. You know, we should just call it D.C., the District of Columbia. It shouldn't be Washington, D.C. 
because it gets confusing. I know that's sacrilege because our founding father, blah, blah. But we got a state named after him. There's a lot of stuff named after him. He's on our dollar bill. So, yeah, Columbus doesn't call it Indigenous Peoples Day anymore. And, and I like to point out, mostly because it upsets the left, which is fun, because we're, we're owning libs. We're owning libs hard these days, folks. Freedom, we embrace this because libs need to be owned for their own good at this point. They, they need people to show them that in, in politics, their ideology is at noob level and they need to get wrecked. Notice how I'm dropping all the lingo, John. I used to know this stuff when I when I used to be playing video games. I could use all the cool kid language. Uh, I was about to say you sound like a gamer now. Yeah, exactly. I used to. I got so good at FIFA. I got into like the special level tournaments in FIFA. I was playing kids in all the from Shanghai to Korea to Rio de Janeiro, and uh, I was I was pretty nasty at uh, FIFA. Anyway, that was like ten years ago. So Columbus Day, people get all upset about because they say Columbus owned slaves and was a pillager. And to that, I just point out, why is it that we only judge? And I know others are making this point, too, but I really I really do look at this because that period of in history of the 15th, 16th century is of particular interest to me. You had a massive Muslim slave trade going on in the America. So put that aside for a moment. You had a huge slave trade in the Islamic world of white Christians. I would note they were being traded as slaves all over the place. A lot of them uh, labored to death worked to death, or the women were put in harems. You can figure out what that was all about. Um, that was going on millions of people over the course of a few centuries. And so it's not like it was just a slave trade in, in Western Europe, although we're always led to believe that. But then you get into the Americas, and you read a little bit about particularly the uh, Caribbean tribes, uh, you know, native tribes, and the Aztec and Inca peoples, as well as all the tributary groups below them, and the Aztec Empire, for example, was a massive empire built on slavery, human sacrifice, and yes, there was a lot of cannibalism. They were eating people. And when they weren't eating them, they were ripping their beating hearts out of their chests because they thought that that's what their gods wanted. So I do think that there was a little bit of a need to, you know, uh, move up the, the ethical civilizational scale quite a bit. So why don't we look on that at the same time period with any horror? No, we only look on, on Columbus and, and apply the moral standards of today to back then. Well, if we're going to apply the standards of today, here's a point that you won't hear the left make. Columbus was morally much more advanced than the civilizations he came into contact with in the New World. And uh, dare I say, in comparison to what he came across was much more ethical. And I know that's, ooh, that's so controversial. Uh, but it's also true, even though they were bad on both sides. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. Ah, team, I missed Roll Call. You know, when I get days off, even though my days off involve giving speeches to lots of folks and traveling and not exactly chilling by the pool, you know, I, I miss this. I miss talking to all of you, and certainly I miss our, our daily check-in with the roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to be a part of it. And please, if you're not already, I haven't said this in a while, 
follow me, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Follow that page. I'm posting there. I'm trying to get as active as I can and using as much Facebook as Twitter because I know most of you are on Facebook. Very few of you are on Twitter. Uh, so there you have it. Matthew, first up. Glad you're back in the hut, Buck. We all missed you. Thought I remembered something about missing docs the Dems are complaining about not getting and that are sealed from past administrations. And those usually don't get unsealed. Is this true? Shields high, Matthew. Well, Matthew, I'll tell you this. The problem with the administration, or rather the problem with the Democrats when it comes to the Bush administration, is they are being really disingenuous about how they wanted documents relating to Kavanaugh when he was the staff secretary, which is essentially the traffic cop of information flow within the White House. And some of that's privileged information. That's internal White House information that does not get made public. So the Senate says, we want to see it. We want to see it. Even though, and remember this important fact, there were more, uh, there were more documents shared about Kavanaugh than any Supreme Court justice in history. And it's not even close, not even close. All right. So when they tell you, oh, we don't have the documents, we don't have the documents. Uh, they got a lot of documents and they know they can't get all of the quote documents. So it's just another another dodge, another hustle, more garbage from the delusional left. Man, they've really they've really shown who they are. And it's ugly. It's ugly over there in left land. Uh, that's why you hang out here on the right, because you're in the right. Jeffrey writes. uh so funny to watch Crystal's expression during your opening on Rising today. She seemed so sour. Uh, Jeffrey, Crystal, and I get along super well. Uh, we agree on very little. So it's quite a feat that I manage and she manages in her own way on that show every morning because we really don't. It's not like we finish up we're, and we're sitting there on set like, well, we really agree on everything. We don't agree on anything, but we manage to have a civil conversation nonetheless. James writes, Buck, I noticed in the past shows that when you say the word chromosome, you seem to pronounce it chromosome with an N instead of M at the end. If I'm hearing it wrong, I apologize. Anyway, not that important. What's important is when are you going to have a Shields High t-shirt available in large? I must have one. Thank you and Shields High, James. Well, I know it is chromosome. So if I said or that would have just been me misspeaking um, or maybe it just, you know, sometimes you say a word and you think you're saying it one way. You know, there are words that that I say that are apparently are a little funny. Uh, like I say, drawer instead of drawer or drawer. Or people say that one weird. D-R-A-W-E-R. You know what I mean. People say words kind of funny. I think there are some others that I've been told that I say in a strange or unique fashion. Nicole writes, one for the team, eight-week-old golden doodle, shields high. Well, Nicole, your golden doodle is adorbs. Adorbs. Oh, hey, little golden doodle. Want to be friends? Steven writes, hey, Buck, love the show. Steven, you're a man of fantastic taste. And uh, I see from your photo, you also either have a very lovely either wife or girlfriend. Um, I've been a listener since the Blaze days and never miss a podcast. My wife, well, there we go. Good job, Steven. And I are planning a trip to the swamp the week of Thanksgiving. I want to find a place to take my wife for a nice dinner. We love finding new great restaurants while traveling. Any suggestions? Also, what is the one place we have to visit while in D.C.? Thanks in advance. Shields high, Stephen. Okay, Stephen, let's see if I can do a little uh, insider D.C. knowledge for you here. So in terms of restaurants, because that's where I'm best, because I'm somebody who usually says that museums exist so that people can say they went to museums. 
I know I get yelled at for this, but museums are only slightly more interesting to me than parades. I know I'm a heathen. I'm a heathen. Throw things at me. I get it. Uh, so I'll put that aside for a moment. In terms of this would all be uh, same kind of suggestions I'd give you. My favorite Mexican in D Mexican restaurant is uh, Espita Mezcaleria because they have a delicious mezcal. Highly, highly recommend. Um, and the food is excellent. My favorite place, if you're looking for a romantic dinner out, Stephen, but make an advance, make a reservation well in advance. There is a place, and this is true for all of you who come through the swamp. So this is not just for Stephen. I'm giving you the insider, insider DC tips. And by the way, if you ever want insider New York City tips, just send me a message on Facebook. I love people are always surprised. I'll write back three, four, five paragraphs about New York City to people because I love the city and I'm a big advocate for it. The city, meaning New York. Um, but if you're looking for romantic in D.C., Le Diplomat is a Stephen Starr restaurant, very uh, high-end French brasserie, but incredibly popular. So you got to get a res weeks in advance. Um, good for brunch or for dinner. But my little gem for you, especially with the missus, go to a place called Shea Billy, uh, which is in Georgetown, a little side street, little adorable kind of cottage setting, great food, great atmosphere, and more off the beaten path. And Georgetown's just adorable if you're going to go walk around, which then takes me to where do you have to go? You got to go to M Street in Georgetown, explore, go take a walk over to Georgetown University campus. It's beautiful. It's a really nice, it's a really nice stroll. Uh, also, Thanksgiving will be a great time around there. The foliage will have turned. Gosh, I sound like I work for the D.C. Board of Tourism. And in terms of, you know, if you can get a White House tour, definitely worth doing. I just don't know how easy it is to get that these days. I think you have to know somebody. Uh, and other than that, I would recommend go down to the new waterfront area in Southwest. You got to go to the mall, see the Washington Memorial or the Washington Monument and the, uh, Lincoln Memorial, Washington Memorial buck, such a savage, get it right. Um, that's what I, th those would be my recs. So on, on the food front, I give you some food to check out and, uh, I gave you some places to go explore. Oh, and the best way to see DC, in my opinion, as nerdy as it is. One of those electric scooters that you can get from these sharing apps. They're amazing. You go zzz, all over. I know. I, I, producer Mike was listening. Right now, he's he's getting somebody's phone number down outside. He goes out for a, quote, smoke break, but he doesn't smoke. I know what that means. He's out there talking to ladies. Uh, but he would make fun of me, and rightfully so, for riding around on a green energy electric scooter. The scooters. Lori. Next up here, Lori writes, Buck, I love, love, love The Godfather, but I miss your voice when you're not around for a few days. Well, thank you, Lori. I miss you guys, too. My concern around this whole SCOTUS thing is my middle of the road, think they're informed, but go with the lunatic flow. Just read the headline and believe it with vigor. Friends, it drives me insane. It's a much deeper conversation than we're ever willing to have. I find myself, after relating a few hard truths, throwing in the towel exasperated and not even sure where to start again. Not because I don't want to fight the good fight, but because it feels like we're having two different conversations. I want so badly to find a way to kindly make my case just to get them to explore the truth outside of the talking points. But I can't even get there. There's so much education or information lacking on their part. How do you do this five mornings a week on your show? I commend you for that. Just venting frustration. I know you understand. Thanks for all you do. Lori. Lori, I don't know how I do it, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an incredibly patient and uh, 
psychologically durable fellow. I don't know. It's not an easy thing to get up super early in the morning and talk to any lips. Uh, never mind my pal Crystal, who's, as I've said to you many times, delightful person. We just disagree on politics. Uh, so, yeah, that's it's not an easy thing to do. We're trying to do it. And I wonder how much of a completely honest, I wonder how much of a market there is for it too. both sides of the story is what we call it. You know, here's the here's the issue. Here's what the left thinks. Here's what the right thinks. But not in a one side loses fashion because that's the way they do it on cable news right now. We're trying to not do that. Here's the best case from the left. Here's the best case from the right. No one's supposed to show up and go, well, I don't know anything. Just pound me on TV in front of everyone like a moron. We don't do that. We don't do that. We do not shame conservatives. We do not own libs on rising. We own libs here in the Freedom Hut, though. We own them all the time. Uh, Shmuel writes, the Democrat senators are complaining that Justice Kavanaugh's bias against the Democrats from his comments when he defended himself should disqualify him. Why is nobody on the right asking the left how RBG can continue on SCOTUS? Well, Shmuel, it's because they're hypocrites and they have no principles and they lie. So I, I do have a good answer for you there because that is the answer. Brandon. Whoa, quite a load here. Shields high. I listened to, the, to your analysis the past few weeks about Kavanaugh. I could tell how angry you were because the tone of your voice uh, and a few swear words. Whoa. Um. I didn't swear. I mean, maybe I said damn or something, but is that really a swear? Well, you know, it's interesting to hear, you know, this audience, we always have very clean language on this show, but what is considered a swear? I got in trouble once for saying crap with somebody in this audience, which I, which is a word that you can use that's not considered a swear anywhere that I'm aware of. And there was, oh, I also said gosh darn, and I got in trouble because somebody said, well, you might as well say the other GD. And I said, well, no, that's, if I, if I stub my toe and I yell out fudge at the top of my lungs, that's not a curse, right? That's that that's the not curse thing. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, anyway, he uh, Brandon wrote, uh, I watched the vote in the Senate today. I'm so proud Judge Kavanaugh didn't give up. I'm so glad he didn't give up. I hope your West Coast trip went well. Well, thank you, Brandon, and I'm glad he did not give up as well. Uh, Nate, in my opinion, the Democrats jumped the shark with Avenatti and Swetnick's accusations. It was so over the top, it destroyed the argument that victims never lie to independently minded observers. Do you think the Democrats wanted Avenatti to come forward? Or do you suspect, as I do, that once Swetnick's accusations occurred, they knew it was actually damaging to their credibility? I, I think that Swetnick was a disaster for the Democrats because she was uh, it was clownish. It was it was obviously incredibly destructive and dis and disgusting, but it was completely non-believable. And I know that you guys all say that you listen to the show, so you don't need me to tell you when I'm right because you know what I'm right. But I did not waver for a single day, not one moment on Kavanaugh's innocence and that he should get through in this process. Not one moment. I just want to take a little bit of, a, you know, take a moment for myself with that one team because it wasn't easy. For some, let me tell you, I was getting heat, but you know, if you can't stand the heat, don't be in the freedom hut or something. I was going to think of something cool. All right. That's going to be it for today. Tomorrow more shields high. It's an honor and a privilege to bring you my thoughts on things that matter to us as Americans every day. And your opinions matter just as much as anybody else's folks. That's why you don't have to allow yourself to be censored by those left-wing platforms, those social media outlets that you know have a progressive bias, make sure you try a place where your conversation 
is what you want it to be. Snippy.com. Snippy.com's founders have created a forum where people can express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything. On Snippy.com, you can write about what's on your mind, upload photos, and strike up a conversation about whatever you want. You can search the site by topic category, see what's trending, check out the news feed, and follow your favorite writers. Most importantly, you can enjoy freedom of expression without suppression from administrators. No censorship, no agenda ever. Go to Snippy.com today. Again, S-N-I-P-P-Y.com or download the app and let's get the discussion rolling. 